they've apologised and withdrawn the report that they prepared from the footage. You're listening to the news on RTHK. An international station for an international city. This is Radio 3. Good morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong at the start of a new week, Monday the 10th of October. Welcome to Money Talk on Radio 3. This is Peter Lewis with the day's business and finance headlines. Hong Kong Financial Secretary Paul Chan announced yesterday that next month's gathering of top finance professionals at the Global Financial Leaders Investment Summit, organised by the Hong Kong Monetary Authority, had received such an enthusiastic response that authorities have decided to host another forum on the next day. Mr Chan said many international financial institutions not invited to the event on the 2nd of November had written to inquire and some participants said the one-day meeting was not quite long enough. He said the HKMA and the Hong Kong Academy of Finance had therefore decided to host a forum the following day on global investments. U.S. jobs growth has slowed for a second month in a sign that the labour markets may be starting to cool. U.S. employers added 263,000 new jobs in September, that's the fewest since April 2021, and down from 315,000 in August. Friday's report also showed that the unemployment rate dropped unexpectedly to a 50-year low of 3.5% from 3.7% a month earlier. The U.S. is introducing sweeping new measures to restrict sales of computer chip technology to China to complicate efforts by Chinese companies to develop cutting-edge technologies with military applications. Under the new rules, the U.S. said it would bar U.S. firms from selling certain chips used for supercomputing and artificial intelligence to Chinese companies. The restrictions also target sales from foreign firms that use U.S. technology in their equipment. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Alex Wong of Alex KY Wong Asset Management and Andrew Fennell from Fitch Ratings. With a view from mainland China is Ben Cavender at the China Market Research Group. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. US shares fell on Friday following the stronger-than-expected jobs report. The S&P 500 closed 2.8% lower at 3,640, its largest daily loss in more than three weeks. The index, which gained 5.7% over the first two days of the week, saw that weekly gain erode to 1.5% by Friday. The Dow slumped 630 points, or 2.1%, to 29,297. The Nasdaq Composite Index tumbled 3.8% to 10,652, but closed up 0.7% over the five sessions. Semiconductor stocks tumbled following an announcement from the White House that it would implement export controls that limit China's access to semiconductors. Advanced Micro Devices was among the biggest fallers on the Nasdaq, dropping almost 14% to their lowest level since July 2020, after the chipmaker cut its third quarter revenue estimate by about $1.1 billion from its previous forecast. The Pan-European Stock 600 Index was up 1% over the week. London's FTSE 100 saw gains of 1.4% over the five sessions. Hong Kong stocks finished with steep losses on Friday on profit-taking after a huge jump earlier in the week. 
the Hang Seng Index sank 272 points, or 1.5%, to 17,740. That's close to an 11-year low. However, the index notched a 3% gain for the week, its best week since June, courtesy of a 5.9% surge on Wednesday. The Hang Seng Tech Index fell 3.3% Friday, reducing its weekly gain to 2.6%. Mainland markets, which were closed all of last week for the Golden Week holidays, reopened today. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil was up for the fifth straight day, surging 3.7% and rallying over 11% on the week. It's at $97.74 a barrel this morning. Gold rose 2% over the week to $1,696 an ounce. In the U.S. government bond markets, yields moved higher for the 10th consecutive week. That's the longest weekly rising streak since 1984. The yield on the 10-year U.S. Treasury note added six basis points to 3.89%. In the U.K., the 10-year gilt yield rose 10 basis points to 4.26% as pension funds sold billions of pounds worth of assets to rebuild their cash buffers before the Bank of England removes its emergency liquidity support later this week. And in the currency markets, the US dollar index advanced 0.4% Friday. The euro right now trading at 97.5 cents. The bucks at 145.5 Japanese yen. The British pound slipped for a third day, declining 0.7% against the greenback to $1.10.5 cents and 8 Hong Kong dollars and 69 cents. The Chinese yuan is at 7.13 in offshore markets. Bitcoin rose 1% over the week to $19,400. Asian stock markets are opening up for a new week. Down in Australia, the SX200 is off already 1.5%. Markets in Japan are closed for a holiday, but over in South Korea, the Cosby is down about a quarter of a percent. And futures markets pointing to further losses here in Hong Kong. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to lose about 320 points at the Open later on this morning. on a Monday morning, which means it's time to welcome Alex Wong, director of Alex K.Y. Wong Asset Management Company. Morning, Alex. Hi, morning, Peter. Uh, joining him this morning, we have with us Andrew Fennell, Senior Director of Sovereign Ratings at Fitch Ratings. Morning to you, Andrew. Good morning to you. Uh, U.S. jobs growth has slowed for a second month in a sign that the labour market may be starting to call. U.S. employers added 263,000 new jobs in September. That's the fewest since April 2021 and down from 315,000 in August. But it was above Wall Street's expectations of 250,000. Friday's jobs report also showed that the unemployment rate dropped unexpectedly to a 50-year low of 3.5% from 3.7% a month earlier, as the share of Americans either employed or seeking a job declined slightly. And the average hourly wage in September was 5% higher than a year earlier, compared with 5.2% in August. Um, Alex and Andrew, it seems that although the, the US labour market is calling a little, it's still pretty strong, isn't it? And maybe probably still too strong for the Fed. Yes, uh, so that's why the market was so bad uh, Friday. I think uh, we need the unemployment data to be bad enough uh, to cool down the, um, the, the, the yield in the, U- in the US dollar. So 
this set of data means some、um, the economy over there was still okay, and the Fed actually may still raise rate because their focus is on the inflation funds right now. Do, do you think the、uh, the, um, the 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 employment market will start to slow or slow significantly going forward? Yes, of course.、Uh, I think、uh, this is quite、um, natural to see、uh, a slowdown in the economy、uh, in in the economy and also、mm. the employment data later on. But right now, it is just、uh, not fast enough. We are we are seeing signs, aren't we? Because there are companies now announcing job cuts and layoffs or scaling back their hiring plans. We've seen、yes. it with Peloton, with WalMarts and others. Yes, of course. I think、uh, many big companies are already cutting jobs, so、um, the, the market actually should cool down. I think the 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 jobs data actually should show some signs、uh, later on. Andrew, what's your take on the on the jobs data from the U.S.? Well, we still have、uh, we're still seeing pretty strong wage growth in the United States. We still have、uh, at least in our baseline at Fitch, we still have policy interest rate hikes uh, uh, later this year as well.、Uh, I guess the combination of this monetary policy tightening, which we expect is going to continue for some time,、uh, we do see that、uh, pushing、uh, the U.S. economy to a pretty sharp slowdown next year. So we have、uh, GDP growth in the United States、uh, slowing to just、uh, half a percentage point in 2023, and but not a recession. Well, I guess this this gets into the technicalities a bit because.、Uh, We do think perhaps one or two quarters、uh, there will be negative growth,、uh, but overall,、uh, on an annualized on an annual basis in 2023, we will see positive growth in the United States. But but clearly a lot of moving parts, and、uh, one of those key swing factors uh, uh, is certainly the external、uh, the, ex- the external environment and, and developments in Europe.、Mm-hmm. Well, I suppose one of the worrying things about this jobs report. Is the labour market still hobbled by a shortage of workers? The labour force participation rate, which measures the number of people working or looking for a job,、um, is still below its pre-pandemic level at 62.3 percent, and the labour force actually shrunk by 57,000 people. That's going to make it difficult, isn't it, for for the labour market to call and for wages to slow down? Yes, that's、uh, a problem that、uh, still exists. But I think uh, if um, the economy slows down and companies start、uh, more aggressively to cut jobs to save costs, then I think、uh, that that probably would would cool down the wage growth as well. I'm not surprised about, for example, older people. Leaving the workforce and also mothers leaving the workforce because of problems getting、uh, childcare for their children. But what I'm surprised about is actually younger workers, aged 16 to 19, are also leaving、um, the the labour force as well. Why is that? Well, to to be honest with you, I'm not sure if I really have a view on that.、Uh, <laughs> I haven't looked through、uh, th- through the details. Perhaps、um, just hypothetically,、uh, perhaps it is. Reflects people going back to school,、mm. um, but、uh, or maybe、yeah. working in other ways for themselves yeah, or yeah. freelance that type of thing. Sure. Okay,、um, Alex, what does this mean for the Fed? For,、uh, the market is pricing in now an eighty percent chance of a seventy-five basis point rate hike uh, in uh, later uh, in November. What, what do you make of that? It still means、uh, the Fed、uh, would go to raise rate, and because their focus right now is on inflation,、mm. so、uh, if we do not see a、uh, slowdown in 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 the, in the jobs market, then probably we would. Not see the Fed to change its stance、uh, too much because right now the market actually is looking pretty much on the yield,、uh, and we need to see a peak yield situation. Right, but、uh, with this kind of job market, I think、uh, people would still worry about further rate hike possibility. 
Andrew, if we look at what the Fed's doing, if we do get a 75 basis points rate hike in November, it'll be the fourth consecutive 75 basis point rate hike. I mean, the Fed is really slamming on the brakes, isn't it? Far more than people thought they would have to do a year or so ago. Well, well it's actually, in fact, uh, higher than I think we, we currently are expecting. And uh, it's it's starting to put uh, upward pressure on, on our baseline forecast for um, for Fed interest rate hikes. We had mm-hmm. we had them going to to four percent by the end of this year, but but uh, indeed a, a seventy five basis point cut combination with some of the wage growth that we discussed earlier, I think suggests some some upside risk to um, to our to our current baseline. And what's it going to do out here? With Paul Chan has already said the international environment is the major factor now um, sending Hong Kong into recession. Is expecting negative GDP growth um, this year, and there could well be more rate hikes in the in the coming months. What do you think the impact is going to be uh, for Hong Kong? Yes. I think uh, Hong Kong probably need to 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 catch up in in rate hike because uh, Hong Kong dollar is pet. And uh, we are already seeing uh, it's reaching the upper limit, so uh, we we are very likely to see rate hike in Hong Kong as well, and and the economy actually would be would be in a worse situation because right now we have a significant cooldown in stock market turnover, and property property turnover would be very bad as well. So uh, that means uh, we have a significant slowdown in. Where, uh, in, in very key areas in Hong Kong, so we are likely to see the Hong Kong market get worse. I would say that uh, I think my own personal view on this is that uh, it certainly doesn't help. Uh, you know, weaker external environment is not great for Hong Kong, which is uh, a small open economy that is dependent on um, international trade, mm-hmm. uh, international trade flows, uh, but. And certainly, the the property market is 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 suffering as a result of these uh, higher interest rates. So people perhaps more uh, more hesitant to get mortgages. But really, uh, the, the main factor impacting Hong Kong's economic growth trajectory, at least as we see it, is the uh, albeit now relaxed, um, but the approach to the pandemic, which is just strikingly different for, from the approach that is now being taken by pretty much every other, everywhere else in the world. Um, it, it's it's putting a damper on consumption and and it's uh, it's uh, curtailing Hong Kong's connectivity with the rest of the world, uh, which is clearly how it's made its bread and butter over the last uh, many many decades. So even though we've moved now to this zero plus three uh, sort of self monitoring at home requirements instead of quarantine, you still don't think that's enough to to get the Hong Kong economy going? Not, there needs to be more. Not going to make much of a difference in our view. I mean. It, if you want to take the argument uh, a little bit more into detail, uh, if anything, it, it will probably incentivize Hong Kong people to travel overseas um, and to deploy those savings and consumption habits overseas. Not what we at want, the, though, is it? At, at, at the same time that, uh, with the exception of this very high-profile conference that's going to happen in, in November, uh, there's probably not going to be much or any tourism, uh, inbound tourism for Hong Kong. So if anything, um, I think a, a credible argument could be made that it could even be negative for growth. Though though I, I do accept that the, the spillovers that will be you know coming for the aviation industry, there will be more flights. I suppose at the margin, that's going to help as well. So uh, maybe on balance, it's it's it's, it's somewhat neutral. So we, we have econo- uh, Hong Kong's economy still contracting by half a percent this year, and we have a pretty weak rebound next year. I must say uh, of just three point five percent. 
Alex, with that investment conference, it looks like um, it's going to be extended, according to Paul Chan. So it does seem that people in the financial sector um, are quite optimistic about um, Hong Kong. No, I, I think because right now people are concerned about the global investment environment right now. So they, 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 they would like to attend a, such a high-profile uh, event. But I don't think that means they are optimistic. If you look at the stock market turnover in Hong Kong right now, it's telling you people are losing interest right now So in, in, in the market right now. So I, I think uh, uh, that is uh, really the, the real situation. Let me ask you about uh, China's economy, because we did have some data uh, there, the Kaishin Services PMI, which measures activity at China's private firms, tumbled to 49.3 from 55 in August. Far worse than economists' forecasts of a drop to 54.4. New orders shrank for the first time in four months. Um, Employment dropped for the ninth month running, with the rate of job losses the steepest pace since May. And on the inflation front, input costs increased for the 27th uh, consecutive month. Um, what do you make of that? Well, I guess maybe taking a step back and thinking about the three broad trends that we're, we're seeing in mainland China's economy. Uh, number one, first and foremost, uh, not too dissimilar from trends in Hong Kong is, is zero COVID, albeit a, a much stricter and, and harsher version of zero COVID, which is putting a damper on uh, all sorts of consumption patterns. When they look at, when the PBOC and, and other agencies look at uh, consumer behavior, uh, consumer sentiment is, is down uh, quite considerably. We still have uh, the property market going through a tremendous amount of, of, of trouble and readjustment right now. Uh, property development, the new starts, is still contracting significantly on year-on-year basis, despite quite a bit of policy support that local governments have been putting into place. And then uh, you layer on top of that what we see in the external environment. Uh, you know, the external uh, demand has been a key source of uh, of dynamism for Hong Kong's or for mainland China's economy since the pandemic. Uh, and if that starts to wane, that's going to be uh, sort of yet another headwind uh, to, to, to growth in, in the mainland. What's your estimate for, for growth this year? So last month, at, I think in the middle of September, we took growth down to 2.8% uh, for, for mainland China, really due to the combination of all those three factors I just cited. Uh, and, and once again, we, we have, a, a certainly for mainland standards, a, a, a pretty modest rebound next year uh, of, of growth going to 4.5%. Uh, and in large part, that reflects, I think, our view that even if we do have policy support measures coming in to, to support the property market, you know, the, the d- development, the construction cycle, uh, you know, we have starts that are so deep in a negative territory that, that that readjustment process to get us to somewhat more normalized, even if we never get back to the booms that we had uh, before, uh, is, is going to be pretty prolonged. And, and that's without even really getting into the topic of zero COVID, where uh, I think that all we can really say uh, without much more information from the authorities is that we, we don't really expect any relaxation until sometime next year, and perhaps it'll be only gradual in nature. Alex, what, what do you make of the, the data? I suppose there was some worrying sub-indices there, like the new business sub-index registering the first drop in, in four months, and the outlook seems to be, be worsening. 
Yeah, I think the outlook is worsening. Uh, the key is uh, the COVID policy in China. I think uh, first of all, they they probably may not have um, much tools uh, to 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 boost up the property market. So mm. uh, that part, I think, uh, is really done. So uh, we need to see a, a a change in COVID policy. But but sadly, I think uh, probably they would still be very harsh and and quite likely they would not be relaxing it uh, uh, too soon. So I think uh, the outlook is quite bad. So you don't think the National Congress is going to make a difference at uh, the end of this week, beginning of next week, and and after that maybe we'll see a relaxation of these restrictions? I think... uh even they relax, I think that the relaxation is probably like Hong Kong. They would just take uh, one step. So, uh, and mm. that baby step actually may not uh, boost too much. So, all this stimulus that Beijing is talking about to try and support the economy is that really the effect of that? Is is really crimped by by all these restrictions, and we're seeing more of them again in places like Shanghai. Yeah, because uh, right now uh, it's facing too much headwinds. Uh, apart from the COVID and, and property market, actually manufacturing sectors, I think uh, it's also uh, in trouble because right now US is targeting its uh, high-end manufacturing sect, uh, uh, part and 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 with this um, COVID situation, in, in COVID policy in China, actually many uh, companies actually are looking to move um, out uh, to uh, from China to to diversify their, their 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 manufacturing base. So I think that there is another problem in, in place. Before you go, I must get your thoughts on the local market here, because in recent weeks on the Mondays on this program, you've been spot on warning us that uh, the decline isn't over. It now looks like the Hang Seng is going to lose another 300 points at the open. Around It will start around about 17,400. What are your thoughts? Yeah, this is still edging lower. I think uh, everywhere actually right now is just short covering. So we, 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 we will probably would see this kind of short covering uh, happen time to time, but uh, the the nature is uh, is uh, is shift and 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 not sustainable. So I think uh, we are very likely to continue to see the market edging lower to edge lower. Uh, but in, from time to time, you may see a brief uh, short covering happening. So uh, this is still this is still bad because the fundamental does not support. Okay, well, thank you very much. That's Alex Wong, Director of Alex KY Wong Asset Management, and Andrew Fennell, Senior Director of Sovereign Ratings at Fitch Ratings. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. On the phone from Shanghai is Ben Cavender, Managing Director of the China Market Research Group. Morning, Ben. Good morning. Now, the U.S. is introducing some sweeping new measures to restrict sales of computer chip technology to China. Under the rules, the U.S. said it would bar U.S. firms from selling certain chips used for supercomputing and artificial intelligence to Chinese companies. And the restrictions also target sales from foreign firms that use U.S. technology in their equipment. Ben, this seems to be um, something more sweeping and wider than we've actually seen before from the U.S. on, on selling technology to China. What do you think the impact of this is going to be on China's technological development? Well, I, I think it's definitely a very aggressive shot across the bow, and I, I think it does make it difficult, perhaps, for you know some of Chinese leading tech companies or, or research facilities to maybe do the work that they'd like to be doing with next-generation tech. And I, I think this is something probably that ultimately China is not going to take lightly, and I could see them having some kind of a, a, a trade response you know, coming back based on this having happened 
Um, the reality is, is it is probably going to make it difficult for, for Chinese tech companies to kind of do the things they need to do. It's probably going to incentivize Beijing even more to do the development they want to do on their own chip fabrication and chip design capabilities. But the reality is for, for China is I think it's going to take them quite a number of years still to be able to catch up. So this does actually hurt quite a bit. And the other thing that's in this is the restrictions also prohibit U.S. persons, which means American citizens and companies, from providing direct or indirect support to Chinese companies. Um, this is a new approach, isn't it? Because even if um, what they're doing uh, is not under any sort of sanction, um, it could now be subject to controls. And presumably that could mean U.S. people who work on the mainland for Chinese firms. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how in practice uh, this actually plays out because it's something that is really awfully difficult to monitor. I, I, you know, I think to some extent what this, this may do is it may prevent some of this kind of reverse brain drain that's happened over the last few years with, with people that have um, very specialized knowledge that had previously been working in U.S. or European companies being offered you know, real sweetheart packages to come to China to help with some of this tech development. And that may dry up, but I think the reality is is that uh, in many cases, um, that had kind of slowed down anyway, simply because uh, with the COVID environment here, it's quite difficult for, for expats to, to actually live a normal life. Um, I don't think it's going to actually make that big a difference because there's such a pool of Chinese talent now that have worked and studied overseas that are preferentially coming back to China or willing to come back to China. So I, I think the effect of this is probably, frankly, quite muted. Hmm. What does it mean for Chinese chip makers? Because it's going to be very difficult for the memory chip makers like YMTC, Changing Memory, to get the equipment they need. Will it have a big effect on them? Yeah, you know, I think it will have a big effect, at least in terms of their ability to move to next generation fabrication. Um, I think that's really going to kind of handicap chip makers uh, in China when looking at that type of fab work. But I think the reality is, is that when you look at the overall marketing, you look at what the demand is right now, where we have a lot of sort of demand needs that need to be filled, is still really with fairly basic chips. And so actually I think what you're going to see is maybe the more advanced technology does stay in Taiwan or U.S. or Europe, other markets where investment is happening, where the IP already exists. But you're going to see China um, really taking much more of a leadership position for a lot of the more basic chips and processors, many of which get used for EVs and you know, mm-hmm. other next-gen hardware. And so, so actually, I think there's still a lot of room for growth in China. This is just preventing them from doing some of the, the higher-end things they'd like to be doing. Well, when, a couple of years ago, when the U.S. first hit Huawei with pretty hard sanctions, since then, the it's hit Huawei's revenues quite significantly, hasn't it? And it's uh, lost its leadership position in network equipment and smartphones. And its founder even said the company's survival is at stake. Could this do the same sort of damage to the chip makers? Yeah, I think in Huawei's case, uh, you know, they were very sort of outward market facing in their approach. So they were really looking at signing up government clients, large infrastructure clients, and also consumers with their phones not just in China, but in other markets. And I, I think the sanctions really impacted Huawei in that regard because Huawei just couldn't get any of those contracts. Um, and I think the concern with Huawei is they were selling complex systems that in theory you know, could be giving a, a backdoor access to the government. I think if you look at some of like the, the basic chip technology and chip fab that's happening, if it's like a processor that goes into a sensor in a, a car, for example, 
I, I tend to doubt that that's going to get regulated to the point where those Chinese chip makers can't sell those products. So I think they'll actually be okay. I don't think it's going to have the same kind of effect that it, that it had on Huawei. And China's criticised these restrictions, saying it's going to harm supply chains and the world economy. That, that's pretty true, isn't it? In fact, it's going to harm US chip makers as well. We've already seen some uh, pretty sharp revenue downgrades. And what's clear is a... a Demand for chips globally is uh, is declining quite rapidly, so this is coming at a bad time. Yeah, I, I think that if you're if you're an advanced advanced technology company in the U.S., advanced chip maker, or you you've got the ability to make the fabs, or you have the IP, this is tough for you because China really was sort of the the key market to mm. sell to, and if that market dries up, it, it it really does hurt these firms. So it's this really is kind of a unfortunately a, uh, a little bit of sort of you know, shooting yourself in the foot from the American perspective because it doesn't help these high tech businesses. And the reality is is that they can't easily make up those sales gains anywhere else. And it's it's kind of you know it's nice of the U.S. government to say hey we're going to be investing you know X billion dollars in localized manufacturing, fabrication plants, et cetera, in the U.S. But the reality is it's going to take many, many years before a lot of that goes online, and that still is only going to be a drop in the bucket compared to what's happening in China. So I I kind of see this as a little bit of a lose-lose situation for everybody. Okay, Ben, thank you very much. That's Ben Cavender, Managing Director at the China Market Research Group. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In the markets right now, the SX200 off 1.4%. Uh, Markets in Japan are closed for a holiday, but the Cosby in South Korea down a quarter of a percent. And it looks like the Hang Seng is going to open with losses of about 340 points. Thank you very much for listening this morning. I'll be back tomorrow at 8 o'clock. Pack chat's coming up after the news with Jim Gordon, Mike Krause. The weather forecast, fine and dry. Uh, Maximum temperature around 28 degrees mainly fine in the next few days. Uh, There is a red fire danger warning in force and a strong monsoon signal. 22 degrees, 58% relative humidity. Times 8.32. Here's Ben Che with the half-hour news. The hospital authority says it's expanding its remote consultation services so more patients can benefit, especially those in rural areas. The platform allows eligible patients to make appointments and seek advice from doctors via an app without having to visit clinics or hospitals in person. More than 45,000 patients have used the service since its launch two years ago. Joanna Pang, a chief medical informatics officer at the authority, says those invited to the scheme tend to be the chronically ill who are in a stable condition. For the uh, patient selection, most of the time we will select those patients we consider as stable or maybe we, we mentioned is having a chronic disease such that the uh, appointed consultation most of the time during the follow-up uh, we may uh, use the telemedicine or the teleconsultation to follow up the case. North Korea says its recent missile tests were tactical nuclear drills. The state media said all seven were personally supervised by the North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. The BBC's Sophie Glass-Ryan reports. North Korea's official KCNA news agency said the military drills held during the last two weeks were to assess the country's war deterrent and nuclear counterattack capability. It said the exercises involved ballistic missiles with fake nuclear warheads and were conducted to target enemy airfields and ports. The latest launch on Sunday saw two short-range missiles fired in the direction of the Sea of Japan. 
Pyongyang said its missile tests were in response to large-scale joint navy exercises by the US and South Korea, which have just finished off the Korean peninsula's east coast. Although North Korea said its nuclear combat force stood ready to hit targets, there is no indication that Pyongyang is preparing for an imminent real strike. And that's the news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Jim Gould and your guest presenter today is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jim. On today's programme, we're talking about the Mandatory Provident Fund, uh, the MPF, which has had a bit of a rough time in the first nine months of this year, reporting a loss in total assets of nearly $260 billion for the period amid a challenging economic environment. It was the worst performance since it launched uh, 22 years ago and equates to a loss of $56,500 on average per person. Meanwhile, the Mandatory 